from your favorite podcatchers and our YouTube channel featuring scenic videos, this is Kaiju Vision Radio, Episode 1, Introduction to the Godzilla Journey. G-Fans and Kaiju Lovers, and welcome to Kaiju Vision Radio, a podcast about the appreciation of giant monster movies and discovering their historical and cultural value. I'm Nathan Marchand. And I'm Brian Scherchel. In this episode, we will tell you about ourselves, how we got interested in Gojira, our blueprint for the exciting new way to appreciate Gojira and the Kaiju genre, and the basics of the film franchise from our perspective. This is really exciting because we're going to be treating these films as foreign films and we're going to be going places that have not been gone before in appreciating them. We're planning on this being a limited series, approximately 40 episodes, one for each of the movies in the Godzilla franchise, and they will be released on a weekly basis on Wednesdays. The regular episodes of the podcast will consist of a quick description of the film, then an opinion and discussion segment, followed by a related topics segment, where we will present historical, economic, or political topics about Japan that were either brought up in the film or were going on in the country at the time the film was released. Our project is a culmination of all of the time that we have been Godzilla fans. We've also done a lot of research on Godzilla in order to prepare ourselves well. And one thing that we really have been concentrating on is learning about what is called the Japanese national spirit. It's a very important concept, and it is it's expressed a lot in these films. And so we're going to really explore that in detail. Once we've finished with those episodes, we will be going on a hiatus. However, we do plan on releasing some new episodes, as there will be more Godzilla films released over the next couple of years, both in Japan and in America. And if listeners are interested... Uh, We may also tackle some other kaiju film cycles in much the same way that we are doing the Godzilla franchise. I myself am a professional writer. I earned a BA in professional writing when I was in college. I've done a lot of freelancing, but my first love in writing was fiction. So I'm also a novelist, and I've written a lot of science fiction and fantasy. I've dabbled in some other genres. But most notably, I have actually written a couple of my own kaiju stories. One was a novella that I wrote over the course of a year with a couple of my friends. It's called Destroyer. You can find it on Amazon and on Smashwords, I believe. I have also written a kaiju short story, if you can call 12,000 words a short story, that was included in an anthology that a friend of mine had produced, and I have now reprinted it in my newest book, The Worlds of Nathan Marchand, which is a short story collection. And also, I've been heavily involved in the nerd and geek and fandom community for a long time. I attend a lot of conventions, so I know what that scene is like. I dabble around in the internet in those circles, so I know how fandom responds to things like Godzilla and what the perceptions of Godzilla are in the fandom and all of that. And the Godzilla fandom itself, particularly in the United States, is a interesting beast, pardon the pun. Here's a little bit about my academic background. I have a bachelor's degree in political science and a minor in history from a prestigious liberal arts college. Some of my favorite subjects include NATO, the European Union, European history, globalization, urban American history, non-democratic regimes, 
and national and international security concerns. I have a graduate degree from the highest-ranked school of public affairs and environmental sciences in the country. I have a master's degree in public administration with a concentration in comparative international affairs and American foreign policy. I've made it my job in this podcast to learn as much about Japan's history and political culture as possible as far as their relationship to the Godzilla movies. I've typed twice as much content for this podcast as I've typed for my master's thesis in graduate school. I consider myself an amateur film critic. I am a big fan of the movies of Alfred Hitchcock, Kurosawa, David Lean, John Ford, Ridley Scott, Paul Thomas Anderson, Robert Altman, Peter Jackson, Wes Anderson, Orson Welles, and William Wyler, among many others. My favorite film is Hitchcock's Vertigo. I like foreign films a lot, especially Japanese films, as I find the Japanese language is music to my ears, but I also find a lot of interest in films from Western Europe. How I got interested in Godzilla is a very interesting story. When I was in my early to mid-teens, I went to go visit my grandmother because she had cable and my family did not, and I came across WGN, a station out of Chicago, and they were doing this thing called the Oh My Godzilla Weekend, and they were, I guess, showing some of the films, and I managed to catch the second half of Terror of Mechagodzilla, which was one of the films from the 70s, and I enjoyed it immensely, and then I remember I went to a local department store, I believe it was a Kmart of all places, and they had VHS two-packs. You know, this is back in the mid to late 90s, back when people were still using VHSs. And uh, the first one that I I purchased was a two-pack that had, of all things, you're talking about (laughs) totally opposite sort of movies in the Godzilla franchise, it had King of the Monsters and Godzilla vs. Megalon. That's one of the weirdest pairings I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I purchased a few other ones that had films that made much more sense in, 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 in the pairings. But yeah, and then after that, I started getting more of the movies, and then I started getting them on DVD, and I started you know subscribing to GFAN Magazine and all of these sorts of things, and just kept getting farther and farther and deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole that is Godzilla fandom. As far as my background in the Godzilla movies... When I was pretty young, there was a Fox affiliate in town, and on Saturday matinee hour, they would sometimes show Godzilla movies. I was lucky enough to be able to record Godzilla vs. Gigan on VHS. Another 70s film. Yeah, and it was something that I was extremely fascinated with. I rewatched it a lot, and I think it was because... It was so radically different from just about anything else that I could get a hold of. So I really cherished that VHS tape, and I probably still have it somewhere. And I'm, I became a big fan of Godzilla through that way. During the mid-90s for me, I think Godzilla sort of fell by the wayside as I was really busy with school and I was starting college. But then uh, at, right when I was starting college, there was an episode of South Park. And it totally reminded me of Godzilla because it was a direct take on Godzilla. And it was the episode, the tropes of Godzilla. Yeah. And it was the, the direct episode about, uh, Mecca Barber Streisand. (laughs) And it, it, I remembered, Oh yeah. The the Godzilla is a really big thing still. And, uh, and I knew that there had been movies coming out, but they weren't even available in America at the time. Not a lot of them. Yeah. The Heisei movies weren't really available. Uh, they were just trickling out really. And, there was, uh, I, I love the part where they got the Japanese reporter 
and he came out and he was like Barbara, Barbara, and it <laughs> sounds was like just, sounds like right. a Japanese superhero show theme song. Absolutely, I think that was where they were going with it. But I, I and then they made Barbara Streisand and a mecha Barbara Streisand and, and had the metal body and the 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 mouth, the the claw, the, and everything the else. Clamps. And yes, and it was it was just great. I I liked it and I thought, oh wow, Godzilla is such a big thing still and always will be. It's such a big part of pop culture. Mm-hmm. The both of us are very much fans of the otherworldliness and the imagination and the kind of bizarre ways these films present the ideas and themes that they have in them. Yeah. I love that word. Otherworldly. It's, it's a, it's, I'm not sure if it's an escapist thing for me, but it certainly takes us into another dimension almost completely. There is an element of escapism in these films. I would say, I mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah. And it's, it's part of just wanting to know more about things that you don't real quickly to let the audience get to know us a little bit more. Let's do a segment where we mention favorite movies and just do a rapid fire. All right, bring it on. Well, I already mentioned Vertigo uh, is my favorite film, so I'll start with guest mentioning other Hitchcock. Marnie. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Star Trek The Motion Picture. Alien. Alien 3. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Fight Club. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Clue. King Kong, 1933. Casino. Tron. Gosford Park. Superman. Bridge on the River Kwai. The Empire Strikes Back. Nashville. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. Lord of the Rings, the Return of the King. There Will Be Blood. The Seven Samurai. Ikiru. The Magnificent Seven. Barry Lyndon. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Brazil. Predator. Jurassic Park. The Avengers. Deadpool. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. My Fair Lady. Ghostbusters. The Godfather Part 2. Memento. Tokyo Story. Toy Story. Up. The Usual Suspects. Spirited Away. Reservoir Dogs. Death Proof. Blade Runner. Metropolis. Jaws. The Manchurian Candidate, 1962. The Princess Bride. Kingdom of Heaven. Rocky. The Rules of Attraction. A Nightmare on Elm Street, 1984. High Anxiety. The Wizard of Oz. Best in Show. West Side Story. Back Back to to the the Future. future. (laughs) Well, that was fun. I think we got everybody to learn a little bit more about us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We should do this more often. Or not. (laughs) Moving on, let's talk about our impressions of the Godzilla series as a whole. I can't wait to do that. I feel confident enough right now that I can go on record and say that I at least somewhat like every movie in the whole series. 
especially one of the most important things with me is is to take into account what the purpose of each particular Godzilla movie is. Because there's a variety of reasons why these were made and target audiences they were going after and different genres that they all take in at some point. But I can say confidently that I don't think I'd, I don't think I hate any of these at all. I, I think they're all very interesting and they all have their own specific purpose. I wish that I had been young enough when I saw some of the movies that were meant for younger people, especially the kids ones. I have no idea what I would have thought with, a, with like a couple of them. It's important to take into consideration what the movies are meant to be and, and what the creators meant when they, what their intentions were when they created them. I think one reason why people like some movies and dislike some other ones, I mean, I think part of it might be their mood at the time that they're seeing it. You know, because sometimes people go into the theater and they think you know, they want to see something that in their mind, what they want to see. And then they see the movie and sometimes, well, it might not be exactly what they were looking for. And it's like, oh, you know, there's some disappointment on that. But I think repeatedly watching these movies, I keep trying to revisit and say, OK, you know, we need to take this into into context. I, I think another reason why some movies of, of these are, are in the series are liked and some aren't is maybe because of the fantasy element. I think clearly there, there are some Godzilla fans who like the sci-fi ish ones more than the fantasy ones. And, you know, like some people just can't, they don't prefer the, the level of the fantasy in some of them. I think also the, which Godzilla movie I want to see, it greatly depends on what mood I'm in. If I want to be entertained, I'm going to see certain ones. If I want to, get really affected by something, then I'll see some of the others, you know? And so like, there's a, it depends on what I mood I have at the time of, of what I want to see. My attitude is uh, very similar to yours, Brian. I don't, there, are, there isn't really a particular Godzilla movie that I flat out hate. I like, at least like pretty much all of these and much like with you, you know, it, the one I want to watch d is dependent on the mood that I'm in because there's a flavor of Godzilla for everybody. So if I was ever to come across somebody who said, well, I don't like the Godzilla movies from this era, but I like the ones from this one, you know, I, I would like I totally understand. You know, I, I get it. You know, you like your Godzilla a certain way. So I, and I don't hold that against you. But I guess I guess I'm just one of those weird fans that. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy Godzilla as a character so much that I want to take in as much as I can, particularly since you have such a versatile character as as Godzilla that can do a lot of different things and be a lot of different things. You know, it's not often that you're able to come across a character who can offer you so much variety. And I think that's one of the one of the greatest strengths of the franchise is being able to give you that much. But it also just comes from the fact that, you know, I'm the typical kind of nerd personality, which is when I get into something, I really, really get into it. And I want to consume as much of it as I can and, you know, see which parts of it I like and see which parts of it I don't. And with Godzilla, there haven't been too many parts of it that uh, that I don't like, you know, so I've just been voraciously consuming as much of it as I can. When we were at G-Fest recently, we uh, were able to uh, get a lot of wisdom from Shinji Higuchi. He's the co-director of Shin Gojira from 2016, 
and he said something that really resonated with me. And he said, when Americans watch movies, they really watch movies. And I think definitely both of us fit into that category for sure. And when I watch these Godzilla movies, I really watch them. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly ones that I gravitate toward more than others. In fact, sure. In fact, as you listeners will probably find out, there are actually some of these Godzilla movies that I'm either going to be more forgiving of than a lot of the fan bases or that I actually really like more than a lot of people in the fan base seem to like them. And we'll give our reasons. Yeah. And that's, that'll be the fun part. Yeah. So don't stone me quite yet. <laughs> but, you know, so like I said, it's one of those rare franchises that I can enjoy. Even the bad ones. I can find reasons to like the bad ones. Now, I will admit that with the bad ones, it's it's an ironic liking of it. You know, I can you can thank MST3K for instilling that in me. You know, this ironic love of certain kinds of movies. But, yeah, you know, I just I can't help myself. You know, sometimes what makes a movie entertaining is that it's a train wreck. But you can't take your eyes off of a train wreck, you know? We wanted to say a little bit about the kaiju films as a genre and what makes that genre important and what makes these films different from so many other films that are out there. It's easy to explain, but it's unbelievable to me how so many people don't act interested in Godzilla and meanwhile they are fans of so many other Japanese things. Japan is all over the place in America. We have anime of all kinds, we have movies, we have generations who have grown up on Nintendo and video games like Final Fantasy. So many other ways that Japan's gross national cool, as it's called, has permeated our society. And yet to me, Godzilla is the more often ignored pinnacle of that phenomenon. Godzilla is the flagship live-action movie series from Toho, the biggest movie studio in Japan. Many people don't even realize that Toho was the studio that released My Neighbor Totoro. Princess Mononoke, Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, and every other Miyazaki creation. These animated features are incredibly popular, but with the Godzilla franchise, people think, oh, that's just silly, or they just don't realize how important it is. It's the oldest, longest-running series of movies of its kind in the world. There are still more Godzilla movies than there are James Bond movies. I think kaiju films are an entirely separate genre because of the unique characteristics the films share. And that makes them different from sci-fi films, especially if you're going by regular sci-fi standards. Kaiju films seem out of left field automatically because of their fantastical elements. Any sci-fi elements, to me, they're more of a wrapping of the package rather than the actual package itself. Kaiju films can have different types of variations, but these variations are more of a facade. So it's a unique situation in kaiju films where they very often take place in real places, for instance, and so the foot is in reality, but the rest is, a lo is often fantasy. The kaiju film is steeped in tradition and folklore and the psyche of sort of disasters and how humans deal with disasters, particularly how the Japanese have to deal with, well, a lot of disasters. They play on the social anxiety of disasters, and they aren't meant to really comfort the audience as much as get them through how to deal with it. Yeah, considering how disaster-prone Japan is as a country, this isn't surprising, which is why a lot of kaiju are presented as kind of living natural disasters. For me, kaiju as a genre exists under the umbrella term of speculative fiction, which is an all-encompassing term that includes things like science fiction and fantasy and superhero and all of that. And 
I've been reflecting on it a while as to whether or not I could say that kaiju was a subgenre of science fiction as opposed to being a genre in and of itself. But I've concluded that it is a genre unto itself, just falls under that umbrella term. So in the Godzilla franchise, we have 29 Japanese films plus two American films. And those are divided up into eras. The first is what we've divided up is the Showa series. And we've actually divided that into two. Which I don't think is something that most people in the fandom usually do. What we've done is we've divided the Showa series at 1964. So 1954 to 1964 is the Showa series era in which Godzilla is a force of nature. And the second part of the Showa series is 1964 to 1975. And those are the movies where we say Godzilla is the hero. Then after that, we have the Heisei series from 1984 to 1995, the Millennial series from 1998 to 2004, and in 2014, Legendary Pictures launched the MonsterVerse. We included two other movies, which are Rodan and Mothra from 1956 and 1961, because they are very pretty integral to the genre and to the material that we're covering. So we included those two. Mm-hmm. One of the things we want to do with this podcast is we want to lift the fog on the reputation of these films and the and the franchise, especially when you're talking about the low ratings on. Well, that movie database. Yeah, that one. I'm sure everyone at one point or another has had some disagreements with people on that particular website. Yeah, I imagine if people look up their favorite movie and it ends up being not very many other people's favorite movie, then they're like, oh man, wow, I didn't realize that people thought this. And it seems that Godzilla movies, they they get passed over pretty quickly and then they're looked at as uh, not cheap. all that special. Yeah, yeah. cheap, hokey B-movies. Yeah. They and relegate they them to the same places yeah. of, you know, like American films from the time. You know, MST3K fodder, pretty much. And so, but I think the thing is that they, a lot of people have not gone into depth and, and actually seen what, what isn't there, at least on the first viewing. And, like, the first viewing can probably be a little bit rough especially for those who haven't really seen very many of them or know what the context is. Yeah, yeah, because that's the thing. The way you can appreciate these movies is you have to look at them in their original historical and cultural context, which unfortunately we as Americans, modern-day Americans, are removed from both things. Understandably. Yeah, which it was unfortunate, but it's just like with when you take literature courses, you know, you have in order to really appreciate the literature, unless it's something more contemporary, you have to know where the writer was at the time that he was writing it. You know, it's no different than if you were studying Shakespeare. I, when I took a Shakespeare class, we had to learn about all the things that were going on that led to the writing of the plays that he did, you know. There's also something to be said, you know, some people are prejudicial against these films because of a little thing that and this may not sound very PC, but it's something C.S. Lewis called chronological snobbery, which is the assumption that if something is new, it must be better than something that is old. I've run into people who will refuse to watch television or films that were made before a certain year, and all I keep thinking is you are missing out on so much wonderful stuff. Some of the best movies I've seen in my life were in black and white. 
We wanted to mention Toho Science is what it's called, and it's where uh, technology happens, and it's like basically movie technology. It's very easy, and the audience gets it, but we're not going into any scientific detail, and some of this stuff is almost impossible to be invented at some points. And it yeah, goes I, yeah. it goes back to like plausibility, mm-hmm. and like I guess with some movies, it's very appropriate to say oh wait can that even happen like it depends on what kind of parameters the movie has set Mm -hmm. for itself yeah and so like if there's a criticism about plausibility in a kaiju movie i kind of just shut my brain down at that point because i don't know of very much stuff that is plausible in kaiju films at all let alone godzilla movies yeah and so there's we have giant monsters and we have Godzilla breathing, you know, atomic fire. And so like on the, you know, the main premise of it is, is that a lot of this stuff is basically implausible and that we're in a world that is the real world at the beginning, sometimes with a lot of these movies, but things go into fantasy pretty quickly as they're supposed to be. Yeah. I think the term that's usually used for stuff like this is uh, pseudoscience. You'll see it a a lot in different kinds of science fiction or speculative fiction literature. And depending on what kind of story is being told, it's something that you kind of expect. You know, you you see something like Flash Gordon or Star Wars. There's a lot of pseudoscience sort of things in there. And it's just things that people accept about the world. Now, when you start getting into more like hard science fiction, that's when it becomes more important what the plausibility of the things are. Yeah, because the movie set a lot more rules for itself to stand up to, mm-hmm. and so then the, the science has to actually fit. Yeah, and that's the important thing I think people need to realize with these things is that if you're telling a speculative fiction sort of story, you have to set up the rules for your world and then remain true to those rules unless you give a good reason to break those rules. But so long as you set up the rules early and you do it well – people generally will accept whatever insane concepts you want to throw at them. Part of this experience is about opening yourself up to becoming more comfortable with other cultures. Sometimes there's like an anti-foreign attitude sometimes that needs to be dealt with. It's what I describe as maybe a soft tribalism. I think the attitude is misplaced when it comes to the Japanese because the Americans have a lot in common with the Japanese, even though it might not appear that way on the surface. The United States and Japan have one of the strongest military alliances between any two countries in the world, and our cultural connection is really deep. I don't think I'm a Japanophile, per se, but as a student of international relations, I do recognize and am fascinated by Japan's history, society, and status as a cultural superpower, and I want to understand more. The style of these movies is pretty different. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of cultural input that also goes into that and Mm -hmm. like a just a general historical context for for Japanese art. But at the same time, there's the technology that's in it. So so so-called technology is different in that they're the Japanese just have a different take on movies and Mm -hmm. what they're supposed to do. Like there's Japan is concerned way more about atmosphere and United States movies are often more concerned with action. And so there's a, there's just a different emphasis in Japanese films. Mm -hmm. And like I said, a lot of atmosphere and 
I think that's maybe why I like Hitchcock films a lot is because a lot of those have atmosphere. Yeah. The Godzilla films, they focus on highly detailed things that are handcrafted and generally take quite a bit of time to build. And they even use very convincing matte paintings. It's more of an emphasis not on realism, but on the attitude. Yeah. And so, like, the suit, the sometimes the reaction to the suit is, oh, gee, that's cheap. Or, like, it's a Halloween costume or something. But uh, No. Yeah. No. They, they go into, <laughs> like, well, this Godzilla, the costumes are generally about a couple hundred pounds. Yeah, and, I think I remember reading someplace that I think the lightest one, at least that was used in the Showa series, was about 89 pounds, which is still very heavy, and the heaviest they got was around 200. Yeah, and the actor inside who's doing the suitmation can lose, like, 20 pounds a movie. Oh, yeah. And I think I, I have more respect for the Godzilla movies because the Godzilla movies have actual real fire going on in them mm-hmm. and real destruction, real explosions. It's more visceral, in fact, I think that is more realistic than just having CGI necessarily yeah. because sometimes CGI can get rococo to the point that you just become inured to it. But if mm-hmm. you know that what you're looking at was something real that was actually destroyed, mm-hmm. I think it, it registers differently in the mind. We have now figured out over time a consensus on what we think about dubbing mm-hmm. and it seems that everybody in the G fan community has their own opinion on it. And, yeah, and it seems to vary. Everybody has their own taste. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes it varies depending on the age of the person, you know, and the time at which you ask them and things like that. It's and been an ever changing thing. Yeah. yeah. And which movies were yeah. they're talking about. First, why would we actually want to hear anything other than what the person on the screen is saying? I don't know. They say it best. They're the actors. It's a common courtesy to them. Foreign films usually also, they're subtitled. And the Godzilla films are foreign films, so why not have subtitles in these? And the tendency over time lately has been to actually do that. There are Japanese versions that are much more available of these movies now. They have great subtitles, easy to read, and we actually get to see the movie authentically as what it is. In dubbed voices, the inflection is often really off, and so it makes the movie just seem off, and it makes the acting seem bad, even though the actors in these films are often really good. Dubbed voices create more of a barrier for the audience than the actual language barrier itself. The dubbing actually creates a different barrier between the audience and the movie, and that barrier is bigger than the actual language barrier. Even though dubbing the movies was an expensive process, it amazingly makes things look cheaper. And it seems to be a contradiction. I think they would have been much better served if they had just subtitled the things to begin with. One caveat about dubbing that we think is probably good that there's at least an option for dubbing, and that is getting younger people interested in the Godzilla films. Yes. Because it makes sense. It's a, it's a good way to get children who are not going to either be able to read all those subtitles or or just you know it's yeah it's a way to translate it for younger 
audiences and get them interested. Yeah, because they may not necessarily be old enough to even read. Yeah, yeah, and so the dubbing, I think the dubbing is good for that. And I also but heard... You sort a, of grow out of it, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I've also heard a very interesting argument that my, my brother gave in defense of dubbing that I'll bring up here, which is, and he was talking more about anime, where I think dubbing in anime is easier to get away with in general, but... Compared to live action. Yeah, yeah. but his argument was that when this film or television show or whatever was originally produced, it was not produced with the idea that people would be reading subtitles and watching it at the same time. It was meant to be seen and heard simultaneously. So he argued that by having it be dubbed, you are actually closer to what the original creators were intending to do without having to split your attention, which I thought was an interesting defense of things. It doesn't excuse poor dubbing, but you know, it's still an interesting idea. One time I was in Germany, and I was traveling within the country. The movie that we got to see was Air Force One, and it was dubbed in German. And I couldn't believe it. This, it, it was like the Godzilla effect all over again, because what? Harrison Ford's voice is so obviously... Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> And he so, has a very distinct voice. Right. And so the actor that dubbed him had not a high voice, but obviously much higher than his because his is a pretty deep voice. And the people that I was traveling with, we were just laughing at it because it the the contradiction going on is so big and because it's very distracting. And that's the same thing with, with this case. And I think the best way to do this is just to do the Japanese version because... It's so much more true and real with these Kurosawa films, for instance, too, that have come out. They're all subtitled. Yeah. I No exceptions. Yeah. The Kurosawa films, I think because they're considered to be art house pictures, prestige pictures, they they get the subtitle treatment usually because they're, you know, they're they're held up to as these pinnacles of filmmaking. They're put on a pedestal. But the Godzilla films are just seen as you know, cheap blockbusters, I guess. Yeah, even though a lot of Kurosawa films were from Toho, the exact same studio, and Ishiro Honda, who directed a lot of the Godzilla movies, he worked with Kurosawa as, what, I believe, an assistant director. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I hear with regards to the Godzilla films in general is that it's the, and then they got silly argument. This happens in uh, mostly the second half of the Showa series, and that's one reason why we divided it up that way. It's interesting to me how that is another artificial barrier that that happens. And I think, first of all, it's one of my sort of thesis of this podcast, is that if we had the serious Godzilla this entire time, and if he didn't become a hero, the series probably might have died in the late 60s possibly maybe mid 60s even and so when you're evolving a series like this you have the same sort of things that other franchises run into with sequels but somehow Godzilla's different it's not really and there's a great quotation that I found from a woman named Ruth Rose and she's the one who wrote the screenplays to King Kong from 1933 and Son of Kong from the same year we saw Son of Kong, and it's actually out on Blu-ray now. Her, the quotation from her is, If you can't go bigger, go funnier. 
that is such a perfect explanation for everything regarding so many sequels that we've seen. What comes to my mind is notably like Gremlins 2 or Ghostbusters 2. You know, you had a a movie that is pretty comical compared to the first movie that was maybe a little bit comical, but at the same time wasn't, it had its really serious moments going on. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of instances where there's this tendency to occur. It's just an unavoidable thing. You can't keep doing the same thing over and over again. You have to evolve it. Because uh, otherwise, you're just going to do the same movie again. And why would you do that? People want something new. So we have this this argument going on between, and then they got silly and I didn't like it anymore, versus if you can't go bigger, go funnier. And when we have this going on, I have over time realized that what she said is so profoundly true. And this was happening as early as the 1930s. <laughs> I think overall, though, the fact that the Godzilla movies became less serious for a while, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I don't think it was either. Like, it, I think this series might have possibly died if it just kept being serious the whole time. Yeah. And it, the attitude that that these funnier movies were made in was a time when they were quite appropriate. Mm-hmm. It was, I think the audience didn't have as much trouble with it yeah. back and then. I think it also would have been hard to try to retell the same sort of dark story that the, you know, that the original film did. And you can get probably a little bit more traction out of doing something a little less serious. It gives you a wider berth of stories to tell probably. Also, the purpose was not just to make these films less serious, but over time it was the, these Godzilla films were targeted at different markets Mm -hmm. that that it that it wasn't supposed to be dead serious. Like there's one of them that's geared exclusively. You know, you can tell that it's geared towards young adults, mm-hmm. and there are a couple of them that are geared towards children. And so you're obviously not going to make something super serious like that for that market. And mm-hmm. that's what they were doing. They were trying to fill out, sort of fill in the circle and fill in the gaps of where the the you know so that you could get all the audiences interested in it and and that way expand the world of the franchise, which I think is a testament to the versatility of this franchise. The fact that it can be, it can tell a large variety of stories and be interpreted many different ways. Nostalgia really factors into the Godzilla films. And I think I do definitely do, but I think everybody has their own nostalgia movie that they have as their favorite as as at least in that way as part of the series yeah and and a lot of times it, it ends up being the the first of the movies that they saw i mean there's a saying in doctor who fandom that is you never forget your first doctor you tend to latch on to who the who whichever actor was playing the doctor at that point because that was how you were introduced to everything else i think with our age we and I think also because of availability, it seems like the 70s movies were shown a lot on television in the United States. Yeah, and the, the 70s 60s film, ones yeah. didn't make it over as, as much. It depends on which ones you're talking about. You know, some of the 60s movies were shown on television before they were ever shown in theaters, you know. But yeah, a lot of times it was the 70s movies. Yeah, for me, my favorite nostalgia one is uh, Godzilla versus Gigan, even though 
at the time, I, I don't know when it was that I finally found out that that's what the real title of it is. Uh, There's multiple the, titles yeah, for a lot of these movies. At the time, it was Godzilla <laughs> on Monster Island, right? Yeah, yeah. which and makes one, no sense. No, it doesn't. And <laughs> but we at least I did finally find out what what the thing's actually supposed to be called. But I I liked it. And I, but I think it was because that was one of the few ones that I had seen, and so mm-hmm. I just latched onto that and. And so, for you, and for you, you saw yeah, it Megalon was, uh, pretty early, right? Yeah, I saw Megalon pretty early, but it wasn't the first one I saw. The first one I saw was yeah, Terror, Terror of Mechagodzilla, yeah. and I've always had a bit of a a fondness for that one, even though, I mean, it doesn't have as bad a reputation as some of the other entries do, but it doesn't have as positive a reputation either. But you know, yeah. I still, it, it, it has a soft spot for me. Yeah, and I think that's what the the nostalgia factor is. It's the one that that Godzilla fans have as a as a sort of a soft spot for because they that's how they got to know even what Godzilla is in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But I think I think everybody has their own nostalgia pick and everybody's got their own favorite. I, I think I'll defend I'll defend Godzilla versus Gigan a lot. And I think the nostalgia films for people, I think they'll defend them a lot and just sort of not ignore the the parts that weren't as great, but I think they'll they'll forgive it. Yeah, and like like Megalon or Gigan, they kind of just are what they are. I think that's why when the United States 1998 movie came out, there there wasn't that nostalgia of remember Godzilla and remember the previous movies because I think people were expecting camp a little bit and like a little bit of humor and they wanted various classical elements of Godzilla to come back and they just didn't. Yeah. But, but like then that nostalgia is what gets you used to Godzilla. And that sort of sort of sets the bar for expectations on what you think Godzilla movies should be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the, the nostalgia is fueled by, by other things, you know, catching a movie on your local TV station when they do a double feature on Saturday or seeing it in a movie theater when you know maybe not anyone not very many other people were doing that or you know there's a lot of nostalgia is a little bit of a complicated thing there's a lot of associations and things with it what was the first one you saw in the theater japanese or american either (laughs) actually unfortunately the first godzilla movie i actually saw in a movie theater was the 1998 version which is unfortunate because i just i wasn't able to go to any like the special screenings that were that would be going on in say chicago or someplace like that and you know the first japanese film that i saw in the theater was 2000 the first Godzilla film and the first Japanese Godzilla film were it was both the same for me, and it was Shin Gojira. In, uh, oh, really? Yeah, it was just last year in uh, 2016. And I was finally so glad that I got to be able to see one of these movies in the theater. It was really good. Yeah, I, I do think well, one of the things that I've realized with a lot of these older films, because there have been you know special screenings of some retro movies and things like that, I actually find that seeing them on the big screen is actually much better than watching them on the small screen. It's like, you know, even, you know, these dated special effects, for some odd reason, they just look so much better on the big screen compared to watching them on a television. A lot of these movies have received Blu-ray treatments too. Mm-hmm. And I got to say the the Blu-ray treatment of Megalon is pretty. Yeah. it's It looks really good. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Shin Gojira did get released in theaters enough, in enough places that... We didn't have to drive to a really big city in yeah, order like to see it. Yeah, like Indianapolis or Chicago, someplace like that. Yeah, and and I hope that the Godzilla creators 
that they realize how good the American market can be for the Godzilla franchise. And I'm glad that we did get to see it at a local theater because I think the demand is there and I think the, the curiosity is there and you got to tap into that market because I think like more and more people every day see Godzilla films one way or another. And I think the American market is really important to the franchise and it can really make these movies a lot more successful box office wise for sure. Mm -hmm. As we've hinted at before, Godzilla is a versatile creation. And I use the word creation very purposefully because depending on the movie, he is either presented as a character or he is presented as simply a creature. And those are two very different things. There are instances where Godzilla is more anthropomorphic and that very you see that a lot in the Showa series, but uh, there's still elements of anthropomorphism that can be seen in some of the other movies. Because he's such a versatile character, there's a Godzilla out there for pretty much everybody. You know, it's it's an astonishing thing to see how one creation, like I said, can be used in so many different ways. Godzilla started out as a nuclear allegory and then became a force of nature. He was a walking nat- uh, natural disaster. When Godzilla showed up, you got out of the way. He was like a hurricane or an earthquake. But then as the series went on, he became something of a superhero. You'll see that a lot in the... It starts to come in in the late 60s, but you see it a lot in the 70s. And then there have also been points where he's... The best way I can think of to describe it is he was a divine avenger in more of a a fantasy sort of story. The Gojira films, and sometimes Gojira, is an expression of the Japanese national spirit. These movies are often saying something, and Americans usually think that there's a type of message, but they think of the message in more of an American context than the Japanese context. You have to think from an organically Japanese perspective. Put yourself in their shoes and re-examine the symbolism, and that's what we're going to be doing here. It is my position that these movies track the changes in the Japanese national spirit over time. Between 1954 and now, Japan becomes a more normal country, so to speak, but only within its own context and not compared to the rest of the world. The better way to put this is that this is the process of Japan finding itself after being defeated in World War II to the present. It's a track of post-war Japanese history. Japan's opinion of the military changes over time, and their opinion of America changes over time as well. There is also a track of Japan's opinions on international events. The Gondra movies often have a political component of some kind within the story, sometimes overt and sometimes through clever symbolism. Some other themes of these films are related to globalization, commercialism, and to trade. After World War II, Japan went through a period of intense globalization, And that created a dynamic in Japan where it was the traditional versus the modern and the global. Those themes are actually shown to us in some of the Gojira films. And these topics are directly related to the expression of the Japanese national spirit. And we're going to be examining those themes as the podcast goes on. As we're analyzing the Godzilla films... With some of the films, at least, we see some of the issues that they present, and they're, we're going to cover them in a way that where we present them and we don't necessarily get into like a political debate about them. Yeah. 
it's the nature of good art to be able to explore themes and ideas. And that's what we want to do is we want to convey what those ideas are and, yeah. and what really the Japanese national spirit is and what these movies are trying to communicate to us. Yeah. They're, the, the the issues that are being presented in the films were obviously important to the creators, and so they felt there was you know a need to bring them up, even if it was in an oblique way. Yeah, and some of the issues we'll be talking about are things like nuclear weapons, invasions, trade, Japan-U.S. foreign policy, also things like a military... You know, yeah, attitudes uh, toward the military. Yeah, attitudes and... toward the military. And um, it's not like everybody in Japan has a united opinion on any of these things. No. But it, I think the movies bring them up in a way that it's, it's just sort of begging the the question and to see – it's to explore things. And yeah. I don't, I don't think the movies are really necessarily taking all that many positions either. Depends on the movie, I think, and the creators in question. But even if you – when you look at the franchise as a whole, you can see how the opinions – of the Japanese people shift over the years as well. So, you know, these movies are very indicative of where Japan was standing at the time on certain issues at certain times. So we're going to be doing something really uh, different with this podcast. And so we'll, we'll be exploring these issues, but we don't necessarily have any kind of particular agenda and we're not going to be really debating, but it's more, we're, we're going to be analyzing trying to see what these movies communicate from the Japanese standpoint. Mm -hmm. In our next episode, we will be discussing the origins of Godzilla, specifically the films King Kong from 1933 and 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. We won't be analyzing them in the same way that we do the Godzilla films, but we will be talking about the elements in those films that pave the way for the Godzilla film franchise. If you'd like to get a hold of us and send us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Our email address is feedback at kaijuvision.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. Our podcast is available on Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, TuneIn, Podcast Addict, our YouTube channel, and on our website, kaijuvision.com. Thanks to Audiophiliac for creating our theme and bumper music, www.fiverr.com slash audiophiliac. If you like our podcast, please support us on Patreon. I'm Nathan Marchand, and I'm the podcast webmaster. And I'm Brian Churchill, and I edited this podcast. Sayonara!